Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Families are going to be spending quite a bit more time together over the next few weeks, and during that time there may be some good opportunities to have those awkward conversations that parents can dread and that can make kids cringe. So what's the best way to go about difficult conversations with teenagers? How to avoid getting a young person's back up before you've even started? It's the focus of our guest's latest book. The title of Collett Smart's new book is They'll Be OK, 15 Conversations to Help Your Child Through Troubled Times. Collett's a psychologist, teacher and parent based in Sydney. The book covers those fairly predictable topics, breakout sex, pornography, misogyny, harassment, empathy and respect and a few more too. Collett Smart's with us from Sydney. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Catherine. Thank you for having me. You started off writing this, I think, for for and about boys. What made you uh, include all teenagers in the end? I did. Uh, and I think as I began writing, so I'm a mum of three. I've got two boys and a daughter. Um, and my older two are teenagers. My oldest is, is 18. And and as I wrote and spent time with teenagers around the world, I, I suddenly realised so many of these issues are not, they're not boy issues. They're actually kid issues, teenage issues. And that they think that every parent uh, was starting to say to me, how do we... How do we talk about this kind of stuff uh, to our teenagers? And and do they actually want to even hear from us in the first place? Uh, And so that's where it it really evolved from, um, actually helping parents uh, know how to start the conversations, uh, what directions to go in, and actually encourage them to know that their teens desperately still want to hear from them. They actually matter. Contrary to all the stereotypes, the research actually says that our teens feel like their parents matter to them a great deal. So that's actually an encouragement to parents. It's one of the starting points, isn't it? That they might not necessarily show you how much they want to hear from you, how much they want and need those boundaries. They'll often communicate the exact reverse of what they want and need. (laughs) That's absolutely true. Uh, They... That's a normal part of development. Uh, our teenagers have to get to a place where they they show autonomy. They they have to show that they're uh, you know growing older. They're making their own decisions. I mean, none of us want a you know thirty year old man child still living in our home. We want our kids to uh, to be independent, and that is part of them exercising or demonstrating their independence, trying to uh, figure out what they believe that's different to their parents. Um, you know, figuring out which which values are their own and, and which are their parents and which uh, they they internalised. Uh, so it, it's a very normal thing for teenagers to roll their eyes at you and, and push back. But don't be afraid of the pushback and don't retreat when they push back at you. Uh, we've got to find creative ways to still connect with our, our teenagers 
um, because they're actually underneath saying, I'm testing you out and I, I still really need you and I want to debate with you because I, I want to figure out who I am. You've been working in this area for about 20 years as a teacher and also a psychologist. And I'm just thinking in those 20 years, the specific matters that teens are dealing with are almost completely different. But the broad matters are the same, if you know what I mean. I mean, for a start, you know, the newest generations today have been entirely digitally raised. They are no nothing else. 20 years ago, probably none of them. So could you just focus on that for a minute? What broadly is the same? And then we might talk about the specifics that possibly challenge parents where they don't even feel like they know enough. So I think what's broadly the same is um, teens need for connection. They want to, what, what we've always wanted to know, uh, what does love mean? What, what does love look like? Uh, curiosity about sex. Uh, alcohol uh, is still, you know, it was an issue when we were, were younger. Uh, dating is still a common issue. All of us need to needed to and still young people need to learn um, how to connect emotionally. So emotional intelligence, relationship intelligence is, is broadly the same. However, what I do bring out in my book is that uh, alcohol, teenagers are drinking less in, in many Western countries than their parents did. They're actually binge drinking a lot less. Now, that's not to say some teenagers do binge drink and those that do do it at dangerous levels and there's concern about that. But a lot of young people are making better decisions than their parents in, around alcohol. Uh, and a lot of young people are, are actually delaying sexual activity to later than their parents did. Um, there's, you know, Gene Twang's uh, research is, has been going on for many years and there's an interesting drop. Uh, however, some of the reasons for that, they, they're wondering if it's because of uh, young people's scepticism about intimacy. They're more afraid to connect and also, they're very involved online. Uh, and so that's not always bad, but sometimes um, they're more, they could be more interested in online connection. Now, I'm, I'm not anti-technology at all, so that, that comes out very strongly in my book as well. Uh, but some of the, the big things that they deal with now are selfies. Um, so lots of body monitoring hyped up to much higher levels than we had because it's, it's 24 hours body monitoring on Instagram and Snapchat. Uh, so those are the kind of things. And then pornography uh, is a massive issue that obviously we had, but not to this 24-hour level that our teens are, and even children are being exposed to. And honestly, the word does not accurately represent some of what they find themselves exposed to that was probably impossible pre-internet, right? Yes, absolutely okay. right. I mean, we, we kind of had the, the, you know, the 2D and maybe the, the video that we had to stick into the VHS. Uh, you know, now it's, it's incredibly damaging and violent. And I know New Zealand's been reporting on this recently as well. So um, it's a big concern for this generation. The, the problem with that is that it goes to the heart of those other things you were talking about, which yes. is them trying to work out what is appropriate behaviour, what are pro- uh, appropriate roles, what intimacy is, what connection is, and... That can be very, very, what consent is. Um, It it kind of can skew just about every subject that we're about to talk about here. So why don't we start, why don't we start with that? And particularly where parents, honestly, I saw a wonderful column written by one of our younger women um, columnists about 
two months ago that was a little depressing that just said, don't even bother to try and talk to us. You have no idea what we are experiencing in our dating and our sexual lives. You just, it just well, wasn't your thing. And, you know, she wasn't saying give up, but she was saying, yes. and it's a good starting point. How do parents who have not dealt with someone trying to choke them during intercourse deal with a young person who is finding that as part of a dating regime? Like, how do we begin to prepare ourselves for conversations about stuff we didn't go through? So, so look, to be, to be encouraging, uh, young people actually, when they have uh, con- continual or constant conversations with their parents, when parents are open about sex and pornography, the research shows that those young people actually make wiser and better decisions around their pornography use uh, and their sex and dating relationships. There's actually a fascinating study that says young people actually regard their parents as a sexuality role model. So that goes against some of the things, the stereotypes we're hearing. They do want to hear from us. So uh, uh, for me, uh, my book, it, when people read my book, they'll realize it starts way back before these big conversations. You know, you start with little children talking about body safety and we talk about empathy and uh, young people are saying, tell us how to love. Uh, the, a massive Harvard research paper talks about um, young people saying, we want love education. Tell us what that is. And so if we can teach young people about love and empathy, because empathy... Uh, is the opposite of pornography. So you can't be empathetic when when you're exposed to that kind of um, sexual intimacy. And so for parents who have never had this kind of conversation, I think it's important to find ways to still connect with your teenager and then actually just call out the awkwardness. Say, I've been reading this stuff and I've heard about this stuff and and it's a massive issue for your generation. But I've also heard that a lot of teenagers are interested in love. And um, what are you picking up, you know, in your peer group? What are you seeing in, what are your friends seeing in media? So start by ensuring it doesn't look like an interrogation. Um, and you'll see my, uh, obviously my book says 15 conversations. It's not 15 lectures uh, because, <laughs> because teenagers... Because teenagers can sniff out a lecture a mile away. So really do more listening than you do talking. Uh, and, and, you know, finding times. Some teens uh, do a constant stream of conversation. Some only do a massive conversational dump on you once a month at five minutes to midnight. When they talk, you drop everything and you sit and you listen and you ask questions and you ask open-ended questions. I tell them I, I care about the adult you're becoming and, and I never had to deal with this stuff when I was young and I'm really interested to know um, how I can support you in this. Be honest about, about your concerns and, and ask them what they need from you. Uh, initially, they might say nothing uh, and say, no, that's actually not an option uh, because I love you and I'm your parent and I'm your mom and uh, I want to figure out how to do this well with you. So it's really about being honest. Have some humor. You know, be okay to laugh at some of the weird stuff. Uh, have a laugh about it. Um, that's often, you know, very helpful. Uh, it doesn't always have to be serious, hushed tones. So, yeah, yeah. just being creative. So where do, where do we pick up with this age group? Because I think you said something really important. What they encounter, whether they're 
um, late primary age, actually, whether they're adolescent or whether they're young adults, what they encounter online or elsewhere is then going to be run through the sort of filter of who they are already and the work you've hopefully done on self-worth, on, you know, uh, body safety and, and, and your body's your own and, and, and empathy and respect for others. So you're hoping that if that groundwork is successful, when they come up against this stuff, they're going to know something's not right, right? And is that... Yes, yes. So if we're, if we're assuming that things have gone well with everything you've done in their lives to date... Just pick up again on on some of the conversations that you will have, including around body and body image. Let's start with that. Okay. So um, one of my um, main points in the book is it's not a one-off conversation. It's not a one-off big talk or, uh, you know, something you just have as a teenager or when they're six or ten. It's actually constant. It's continual conversations at different times through their lives. And the, the conversations will change and adapt according to their age or their maturity. And so, so really, uh, you know, body image is a big one. Uh, and so we just keep looking at uh, and analyzing media. So use uh, shows that they're watching. Uh, there's int- some interesting research that says we, we look a lot at violent media, which is important, but we spend so much time analyzing violent media and the effects of young, on young people that we actually forget to look at the messages on love in their day-to-day sitcoms and media and how damaging that actually is. And we we don't realize that young people can't always decipher some of those nuances and those incorrect messages, uh, and and we need to actually help them think through and talk through and debate as a family on some of those, those topics and how it affects uh, how they feel about themselves. Talk about how social media makes you feel about you. I was talking to my own teenage daughter just this morning about how social media sometimes gives me anxiety because I want her to know that adults also struggle with this stuff. Uh, and so it's really um, helping them just um, analyze. I often say to teenagers when I run school seminars, I'll say to them, challenge your feed, look at it and and." Decide, is there a healthy balance in your feed? Are you just following the Kardashians or are you actually following other, other celebrities or sites or people that you admire that you really would aspire to be more like who actually have healthy messages for you? Uh, so it's really helping them think through what they're watching uh, and some of the messages they're getting through that. It's really interesting, Colin, because there's, if there's one thing that is irreversible, it is the role of their digital lives. That is, I mean, yes. that's survive. That's food and drink for, for a generation. Yes, and course. it's interesting because before um, the explosion of the internet, we would have been watching out for who their friends were and who they were hanging out with, and um, yes. you know what, what their sports teams were like. Now it is about helping them navigate and balance the incoming and who they're hanging out with online. And some are brilliant at it, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, it's it's the sort of conversation you're having and the sort of thing you're having an eye on, uh, keeping an eye on. Yes. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, social media doesn't, or the internet doesn't make teens depressed or anxious. Uh, but when they're using it uh, excessively, it, it affects the way they begin to think about themselves and it can exacerbate 
anxiety and depression, particularly in teens who are already struggling with mental health issues, uh, it actually just exacerbates and worsens some of their symptoms. So it's helping them understand that as well. That's really important to uh, have breaks and balance their screen time with green time. And, you know, as parents, we need to just look at the overall picture of what they're doing. Are they spending time... uh, socializing with their friends are they spending time exercising uh you know face-to-face socializing i should say Uh, are they exercising uh are they doing a part-time job how are their studies going Uh, if there seems to be a really healthy balance then i think we don't need to freak out too much uh that they're spending time on social media but i have to say for younger teens and young children under 13 shouldn't be on social media but for younger teens and young children uh, we we must be monitoring uh, their online activity. Uh, my biggest, and most of the people in my area would say, my biggest uh, piece of advice is technology needs to be out of bedrooms, particularly at night, because their sleep is suffering. So um, that causes more health issues. Yeah. So it's really, you know, being involved and aware of what your kids are doing. And getting to the good old negotiation, which again has always been. The emotional intelligence chapter is very important. You don't have to be happy all the time. And I think this is something where, again, they're kind of at sea in, in, in some ways. Helping people understand that things hurt, emotionally hurt, yes. and that that's yes. not abnormal. And that sometimes you just have to walk through it and go through it, but also being aware of when it's serious. How do you approach these conversations? I think, uh, so things like uh, topics on happiness um, don't just come up. It's actually usually when your child experiences some kind of pain or hardship, whether it's with a friendship or a disappointment in sport or school marks or a death, uh, we need to then begin communicating to children or teenagers that, you know, happiness isn't everything uh, it's those other emotions that we actually grow in. Now, now I'm not saying say it in the, in the heat of the of the moment when they're in pain. We don't say, well, you're growing in this time. Uh, but it's, uh, as parents, letting them go through that and feel that, and also then encouraging our kids to express their other emotions, to express disappointment and deep sadness, and even anger. But we ask our children or help them to express their anger or their sadness in safe ways and in ways that don't hurt other people. Uh, So we could say to them afterwards, you know, I could tell you were really angry there. And how could you have done that in a way that didn't hurt your sister or, uh, you know, didn't lash out at at family members and um, you became quite abusive in your words? Uh, Is there a way you could do that better next time? Do you need to go for a walk? So... We, we help them brainstorm ways that they con- can constructively uh, manage some of those bigger, um, what, what we've always seen as negative emotions. They're not negative. It's, it's the way they deal with them that could be negative. But the emotion itself is not negative. So helping them understand it's normal to feel deep pain, uh, how can you do that in a healthy way? Because then they end up being adults who don't lash out at wives or children or co-workers um, you know, in unhealthy ways because they've never learned that it's okay to feel that, but we need to do it in a in a healthy um, way. There are several conversations in the different chapters on, on respect, misogyny and harassment. I think this is an interesting one again because 
there was probably a, a generation uh, brought through who were subject to feminist mothers and feminist sisters putting them straight, yes. straight, and still there is today. But again, your incoming has broadened to the whole world. You, you, you're not um, finding yourselves in your university lecture or your high school class or just at home that being very heavily where the influences are coming from. It's coming from everywhere. So again, yeah. if you can get those basics through about respecting people yes. from the start, when they come up against behaviours that clearly clash with that, again, you're hoping those values are embedded, yeah? Yeah, so, so, and it starts with respecting your family at home. And how do, you, how do we as parents model that we actually even respect our children? How do we have conversations with them? Um, they're not lesser human beings because they're children. We need to still... I'm not saying they have a say on how to run family finances, but there's definitely... We need to still treat our children with kindness when we, um, even when we discipline them. If they need to know it's, it's out of kindness or care or love. Uh, and, and encouraging our children to uh, respect each other in the way they talk to their siblings... And then how do we model the way we talk to the lady at the checkout counter or, or grandma, even for that matter? We're doing lots of modeling all the time. Uh, even if we are, uh, you know, I say to some, some men in my audiences, I know, you know, you may be divorced from your partner, your ex-partner, but even the way that you talk about her in front of your children can communicate something to your kids and your pain is is your pain and you need to deal with that in your own adult way with your own friends someone that you could talk to but just watch how you're talking about uh, your ex-partners even in front of your children because that communicates respect still it's really interesting you say that because icky as it sounds i you know you are modeling with whomever you're with yes the respect between partners right and that, again, is a counterweight against porn. I'm all for people now just really encouraging their kids to become A1 class lovers. You know, let's get over our icky stuff on this. Let, let, let's encourage the fact that this is a skill. Your ability to give pleasure to and please someone else is a skill you should be developing, even though it's probably not what you're seeing online. We just Absolutely. need we just need to get over the ickiness because you've got that one chance, haven't you, yeah. for a period of time to to sort of set the, the the basic values. Another thing I think is really important. You say this: the unconditional love conversation. Um, yes. Again, even though it might be pushed back again or it's ooh, they can never hear it enough, can they? No, no, absolutely. You, you just you can't tell your children enough how much. Uh, you love them, find creative ways, send your teens crazy texts or leave notes under their pillow. Make sure you don't embarrass them, obviously, but uh, we need to let our teens and our children know in ways that say, I love you to them. Uh, and that even if they called you at two in the morning, uh, I, one thing I say in my book is I want my children to know that my love for them is more important than them being worried that I'm going to be angry about them calling me at three in the morning when they've done something dumb. Uh, you know, I don't want somebody else's mother to be going to rescue them. I want to be the one that they know they can call on even if they've made mistakes. Uh, and so really we have to, you alluded to it a little, how we have to get over our own baggage on some of these big topics because we never had these conversations with our own parents. 
when we were growing up, and we have to find ways to get our, over our own baggage because our kids need it. They need to know that uh, there is so much give and take in a sexual relationship uh, that it's you absolutely correct in that you have to be able to give in, in sex. You don't just take. And kids don't know that unless someone says that to them uh, because they get the opposite message online. It's not one conversation or even 15, is it? It's continuous. No. Yes, absolutely right. Thanks, Colette. Colette Smart, Smart, I beg your pardon, They'll Be Okay is her book. It's being published, I think, in January. Hashi at the publishers. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.